welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 32. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. This week, I'm still on holiday, so I'm bringing you another best-of compilation of some of the best interviews of the year. On this week's show, I'll talk to industry experts on their process, how they got into the industry, and any tips they might have for people looking to get into the video games industry. So it's a little different this week again, but let's get into it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. This week I'm still on my summer holidays as I travel around Ireland and Scotland. So it's a little different this week again. But this week I'm taking a look back at some of the best interviews I've conducted in 2019. And I'll be talking to people like Hannah and Toby from Fail Better Games. Ben Wander from The Wandering Band. I spoke to Nathan Hamley about Guard Duty. And also spoke to Angelos and Nikos from Pixel Rain. They'll be telling us all about how they got into the industry, how they come up with ideas and working together as a team, how they first got into creating games, also how they use early access for promoting their games and gathering feedback. So something a little bit different this week, but I will see you again on Sunday the 15th of September 2019, and I hope you enjoy all those games that are coming out now. But first up, I spoke to Hannah and Toby from Fail Better Games, and I asked them about how they got into the industry. Um, Felbetter was my first job in games. I don't think I would have worked in games really if I hadn't found a studio like Felbetter to join. Um, it, it, I've always loved playing games, but it wasn't really my ambition um, to work in games until I found this opportunity. Uh, the reason that I thought Felbetter was so exciting was our um, inclusiveness and commitment to representation. We were the first studio, as far as we know, to include a non-binary gender option in a commercial RPG. And that was just really important to me. Um, My background in comms, and comms being a completely sort of skills transferable um, profession, was in all sorts of other stuff. I worked uh, in book selling, in publishing, um, charities, museums and galleries, uh, and mostly for um, children and young people, weirdly. Um, Felbetter's audience is a bit older than them, than a typical sort of 15 to 18 year old, which is what I was working on before. Um, so it, yeah, it's a bit completely roundabout way to do it. I didn't start working in games until I was already 30, uh, which is, you know, makes us, it, it's all kind of contributes to the, the mixture that Felbetter is. Like I don't think many of us have games qualifications and many of us have worked in other professions as well and have a lot of external interests that don't just involve playing games. Um, Theatre, we have trained lawyers. Um, Paul, our art director, used to be a film critic for Teletext back in the day. <laughs> um, so the, all of this to say that there isn't really a set way or a set person who, who would be good at this or welcome in games. I think what you bring is um, diversity of experience and diversity of background um, that that I think any studio would be grateful for. Um, I know that what we make is better because we have some people who are really interested in the depths of uh, medieval history um, and I'm really interested in drag and uh, (laughs) queer culture and all of that feeds into what we do. so, the, yeah, if there were a message for anyone, it's that we're all welcome here. Um, and there are plenty of ways to get into games. I found one particular opportunity because I've met someone at a conference to do with games, when, which I was tangentially attending as someone who was working at Tate Gallery. Like, I, would, I honestly, that was a complete blag that I ended up at that conference. Um, but that's how I met the person who gave me the job. Um, so my message, if you wanted to get into games comms particularly, is to meet people as much as possible. Go to the games events, talk to the development teams um go to industry conferences read the industry websites um and immerse yourself in it because the the beauty of of like modern social media and and web culture is that it's all played out in front of you for you to get involved with you just have to find it and join in and toby uh, what about you uh yeah similar to hannah i had a fairly circuitous route into the industry i mean games have been hugely important to me my whole life and um it was it was a very much a pipe dream when i was younger that i would love to work in the industry at some point in some way um but 
um, when I was, you know, like back 16, trying to decide what I was going to do at university, it was definitely not considered a realistic choice to pursue video games. Um, I'm 32 now, and I've been at Fairbetter for a couple of years, and, and another place for only six months before that. So like Hannah, relatively new to, to the industry. Um, but yeah, back when back when I was picking what I wanted to do, it was not considered a kind of a viable, sensible thing to to set out to try and uh, you know build your life around. So I ended up uh, I studied illustration at university and um, uh, got some fantastic experience doing that, and for a short time being a professional illustrator. Um, but also have spent you know I've been in a, I've worked in an office for years. Um, I've done a variety of different things which have not been remotely related to games and though some of that is related to my current practice in terms of illustration, much of it has not been. Um, and though that might not kind of immediately seem uh, to be valuable, as Hannah says, it's kind of this breadth of experience which can can actually be enormously valuable to, to, stu to, to certain studios. Um, and to not just come with this uh, kind of set of uh, kind of ideas that you've just cribbed from a bunch of other existing places and to kind of have a, a fresh perspective um, can, yeah, can be a great asset. Um, ultimately, I did go back to uni uh, to be a very old second undergraduate, which was a, a bit weird, but, um, uh, and I studied computer arts at Abate. So it was kind of at that point more, uh, that was when I kind of decided that I wanted to try and make it in the industry. Um, which was enormously valuable, but just like any other uh, university course, it's really more, especially when it's something to do with the arts, rather. Um, it's it's really about what you put into it. Um, so I absolutely wouldn't say that it's it's necessary for someone looking to get into the industry to do a, a degree course, but it can be a very useful way of structuring your learning um, and kind of giving you a space to experiment that you will inevitably need. Um, so yeah, to anyone like looking to start, I'd say first of all, to keep an open mind, but first of all, just about what you want to do, because there's obviously an enormous range of different roles in the industry. I mean, I'm, I consider myself very fortunate to be in a place where I get to do all sorts of different things. So in my day to day role, it might involve kind of painting or kind of 2D asset creation or UI or animation. But um, obviously, depending on the size of the organization, you might end up doing something much more granular and much more, much more kind of laser focus on a particular discipline. Um, and one of the great things about uni is the chance to explore all those different disciplines and all those different kind of potential avenues that you might take. Um, and I know various people who've ended up doing something that they never would have expected. Um, so yeah, keep an open mind, um, research, look into all the different things you could potentially be doing and just try as many different things as possible. Try game jams, connect yourself with as many other makers and artists and designers as you possibly can. That goes especially, I suppose, if you're not going to do a university course. Um, and yeah, keep an open mind to studios as well, because um, there really is just all sorts of different places to work. It's often a default of people that will go, oh, well, I want to go for Blizzard. But, mm. um, you know, that is, first of all, obviously a very challenging thing to do, not impossible, but very challenging. But also there's just there's loads of different places, loads of different flavors of places to work um, and just get in somewhere. Um, I had a wonderful time at um, a place doing in, in Brighton called Plug-In Games, full of lovely people doing kind of smaller mobile games, primarily for kids. And though that's not the sort of thing that I would necessarily have imagined myself doing or have kind of chosen initially to set out to do, I had a wonderful time, a wonderful experience, learned loads. So, yeah, just keep an open mind and immerse yourself in it, like Hannah said. The industry's changed a lot over the last 10 years. As a developer, what do you think are the biggest challenges you face in the industry? Um, I think the most impactful changes in the industry since I joined have been within Steam. Um, we sell primarily PC games and primarily through Steam, although we're on GOG and Humble as well, but Steam is, is the lion's share of, of our earnings. And uh, it just works differently now. Um we are lucky in that we've always taken marketing communications and um, community seriously. Even before I joined Fellbetter, um, talking to the community and building that rapport and building the amount of people who are interested in what we do has been completely baked into everything we do. Um, uh, but it, I think at some point in the past, it did used to be possible, maybe, to just make a good game and everybody would find out about it and you'd 
make a bit a bajillion pounds and retire. The um, good old days. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, the wild west of of indie games. Um, but now there are a couple of hundred Steam games released every week. Um, and I, I think if you ask anyone, even people who are interested in PC games, to name a single game that came out last week, they might not be able to. Um, I asked a lot of people at Ukariz, a speech I was doing recently, if they could name one or two or any games that came out the previous week. And this is people who want to get into the industry, and they couldn't. Um, I was really surprised. I thought we'd get one. I was like, Heaven's Vault came out last week, but... Um, <laughs> No, nobody knew. So um, discoverability, the way that Steam works internally and the effort that you have to put into to reaching new people um, and creating space for yourself, finding your niche uh, is is absolutely essential, paramount to succeeding in indie games these days. You've just got to. So it sounds like a busy year. Um, do you get to play anything in your spare time? Well, I have been for Love Indies. I've been going into the list of stuff that I've been meaning to play and getting ready so I can leave lots of reviews <laughs> when it's on. Um, so my wife and I just played Return of the Obradin finally. Had a really good time with that. Um, I just played this really interesting art game called Kids, which is um, which is a really simple black and white game in which you poke little people into a hole and it takes just a few minutes to play but I found that really yeah. interesting unnerving um, and weird and I love just weird I love weird things so that's mm -hmm. mainly where I've been oh I'm playing um, Baba is You as well the fantastic puzzle game um, where you can rearrange what you're capable of based around moving commands around on a screen physically which is just like ah mind blowing um, yeah so I'd, anything a bit odd is where I'm at. What, what are you playing, Toby? Uh, right now, I'm still pretty obsessed with the VR and, and with Beat Saber because sometimes just coming home to something incredibly simplistic where you can just smash blocks while wearing a visor on your head. But Hannah mentioned Obra Dinn, got a second to that shout out because that was a stunning and wonderful game. Um, I've just recently started playing Void Bastards, which just came out yesterday, which is very cool from some people that were involved with, um, I think, System Shock 2 and, and some other immersive sims. Um, and also checking out Observation, which is the new no-code game, uh, which is very lovely as well. And also revisiting Dishonored 2, which is one of my, my favourites. Absolutely wonderful game. So there's some great recommendations in there. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about Sunless Skies and Love Indies. Hannah, you mentioned a specific date there where people can get involved. Do you want to mention that again? Yeah, that's the 8th of June at 10am um, PST, which is 6pm BST in the UK. Um, and you can find out all about Love Indies and everything that we're up to by following us on Twitter at Fail Better Games or following us on Steam via our publisher page, which is very easy to find. Next up, I spoke to Ben Wander from The Wandering Band, and I asked him about how you come up with ideas and how you work together as a team. Yeah, a lot of it is about iteration. Uh, I think I'm, I'm technically the designer on the game, but really that just means that um, I write stuff down and come up with the numbers and play test a lot. Um, our programmer and our artist and our producer, um, all four of us, I think, are very good game designers. I mean, I, I, I guess I include myself in that list because I'm, I have the designer title. But what I mean is, um, our Tai Chi, for example, um, he's our artist. You would expect him to want to make everything gorgeous and everything pretty, and he is the exact opposite. Sometimes I'll tell him, hey, man, can we just art this thing up a bit more? And he'll say, no, play with the white box for longer. Let's try to figure out this mechanic first, and then we can art it up at the end. Uh, and so I think everybody has this mentality of the best way to make a game is to, to find a mechanic and iterate on it and build you know, different loops on top of that mechanic and, and play test and play test and play test. We have a rule where, you know, the, the build is never broken. You can always go in, you can always play it. And, and we encourage each other um, to play test the game every day. We have a daily meeting where we talk about it, where we, where we talk about ideas. And then I write them down in a design and we sort of repeat that process, hopefully until the game's done. 
That, that, that's great. Um, so could you tell us more about the, the Wandering Band, uh, like who's part of the team, and, um, and yeah, give, uh, give your teammates a shout-out. Yeah, so uh, I mentioned Chi Fong is our, is our artist. He was uh, last the art director at Visceral Games. Uh, he was working with Amy Hennig on uh, the Star Wars project that uh, was, was ill-fated, but before that we worked on Battlefield together. Um, uh, Zach, let's, let's go with Zach, because he was also on the Star Wars project. Um, he's, he had been a lead producer at EA, or a senior producer, or whatever they called them, um, and he had worked there for about 20 years. So I can't list the number of games he's worked on because it would take us the whole podcast. But he's <laughs> a very, very experienced guy, and he's a wonderful man to have on the team because our schedule would be ridiculous without him. It's great to have somebody who knows how to plan things and, and run milestones and, and optimize spreadsheets. I mean, he basically does everything that the rest of us would rather not do. So, like, I, I really love the stuff that he does, because, and he's so good at it. Um, and then our programmer is uh, Frederick Garreau, uh, and he also worked with us at Visceral on Battlefield. Um, he has worked on Star Wars Battlefront and Army of Two as well. Uh, and then, similar to me, we left, we left Visceral at the same time. This was a couple of years before the Star Wars project. Uh, and he went and traveled the world for a very long time. Uh, and then he sort of came back and said, okay, what next? And we were making this thing, and, and we just got together and, and started doing it. It's, and you, you can almost see some of the inspiration from traveling around the world in, in, in the game as well. It's, uh, I, I love the, the art style, the typography as well for your logo. It looks, looks absolutely fantastic. So you can kind of see some of those inspirations that you know, as you sort of um, went away from Visceral Games and then came back together. It's, it's really uh, it's there for everyone to see, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think you can kind of see the different elements that that we each bring to it. I, I like it. I do like it, and it's and it's and it's also fun to be able to say that you know I'm I'm quite proud of this thing already, even though it's not uh, anywhere close to being done. Um, it's still I'm I, I love what we've made so far, and I love what we're making, and I, and I think it feels good, and it it feels great to work on a project like this that you really really believe in and really think is gonna is gonna be fun for players. And it, it's a really interesting kind of uh, shift of genre from the last game that you worked on in a case of distrust. Um, is that something you quite like to do? You like working on um, kind of a, a variety of uh, game styles? Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. There's no... What I like about games is that there are so many different types of them, and I like a lot of different genres, and so does Chi, and so does Fred, and so does Zach. And, um, you know, we... I feel like we kind of all play the the sort of popular games, and then we each have our niches w within that. But um, one of the great things about game development is that you can just completely turn on a dime and and make something very new the next time. Um, and right now, it's it's been a really really good time making the city builder. But who knows? In in five years, we might all be working on another noir adventure game. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that, that, that's really cool. So do you think you're, e you're ever going to settle on a particular genre or you, you just kind of keep uh, testing out different, different types of games? Yeah, it's a good question uh, from, a, from a company uh, future direction standpoint. Uh, the honest answer is I think we're going to keep making games that we want to play. Uh, and whether that's, you know, Airborne Kingdom 7 or whether that's something completely and utterly different that we it's a it's a VR game where you're rock climbing and, and shooting guns or I don't know but um, I think that our, our our biggest focus is just uh, having a good time with with what we're making and I think that lets our players have a good time with it as well. Oh, that's awesome! So I imagine you're going to be hyper focused on Airborne Kingdom for the moment. Do do you get much time to play uh, games in your spare time? Yeah, I think that's really important, and I think that's part of um, what we were talking earlier a bit about um, work-life balance and making sure that you have that. I mean, we're all we all are video game players. That's something we enjoy doing, and I would hate to ever have a schedule that doesn't allow for me to just relax and go do something else. And what's what's your kind of favorite game out there at the minute? You know, the three of us, uh, Zach, Zach is on a different is on a different server, but the three of us, uh, Fred, me, and Chi, have been playing Astroneer for the last two weeks, and we're having a really good time with it. We have just discovered the the center of one of the planets, 
Uh, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but if you haven't played Astroneer or if you're not there yet, that is quite an epic moment. We, we had a really good time with that. Cool. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out. There's a beautiful documentary by Noclip on the development of Astroneer. If you haven't heard about it, go watch that documentary. It is actually um, a really fantastic story. Um, it, it's a sad story in some ways, but it's, it's really interesting to get a behind-the-scenes look at, at that game. Brilliant. And uh, you've, you've been working in game development for some time, and uh, I imagine you've seen a lot of changes in the industry over, over the last sort of five or ten years. Um, we've, we've talked a bit about the kind of um, stresses and uh, challenges working in kind of big uh, corporate companies and a, a little bit more about the kind of freedom in working in kind of ideal team sizes. What would, what would you say is uh, something or the, the biggest change that you've noticed in the industry, say, over the last five years? Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like year to year things change. If you go to if you go to GDC two years ago, it was all about VR and VR accessories and the things that we can do with different spaces. And then last year it was all about uh, uh, cryptocurrency and and using mining for your games. And then this year it was all about streaming and the new Google streaming services and everything. So it kind of jumps around a lot. Um, if if I try to look at a more overarching theme in the last five or ten years. The biggest difference is really the tool set that's come in that's allowing teams like our size to make a game like this. Um, I think even five years ago, making a game of this magnitude with such a small team would be close to impossible or at least very, very difficult and take you a lot longer. Um, different tool sets like Houdini, game engines like Unity or Unreal have really come a long way in such a short amount of time. And I think it's letting a lot of, be, uh, a lot of people be creative and sort of branch out in ways that they might not have been able to before. That's awesome. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned there about the streaming services at, at GDC. I, I recently um, had a sort of look into um, streaming services into the feature a couple of episodes ago on, on the podcast. And... Uh, it's. I was wondering, as you know, as a game developer uh, at GDC, what was what was the kind of reaction in terms of the streaming services? Because there's been a lot of talk in the industry for some time, and there's been a few companies sort of testing out. But it feels like 2019 or 2020 is going to be the year where the streaming services hit. And as a as a game developer, I'm, I'm really interested into into understanding your kind of point of view of what what's you know what's coming down the road and what that means for you as a game developer. Yeah, I think I mean just in general as as a gamer I'm curious about about the mechanics of of what it is like to play a game streaming through the internet. I don't know, I've actually never I've never tried it. I never did the uh, any of the the Google stuff or any of the streaming um, uh, PlayStation games that you can that you can play, um, I'd be curious to to sit down and see what what's the latency like. What are, what is the visual fidelity like? Uh, from a game developer standpoint, the promise of everybody being able to play my game on any device is actually quite interesting. Uh, currently, you might need to buy a somewhat decent computer or a game console. Um, and that's a big investment early on to try to make um, to justify, you know, playing a game that you might not know if you're going to like. But if you already have, say, an Apple TV or something that can stream a game pretty easily, then maybe that barrier to entry is lower and suddenly our fan base starts to grow. Um, the, the flip side of that coin is, okay, this is all fun and interesting, but how is it being monetized? Am yep. I selling my game for the same price across all stores, and it doesn't matter whether it's a streaming service or whether it's a, it's you know, I guess I don't know what you would call it, a, a full game download, like something like Steam or or you know, a physical box that you get at the store. Um, if if people are paying the same price, then I think it's competitive. I do get a bit worried when people start talking about subscription services, if only because they're a mystery. Um, and I don't know how that's going to work. And, and every time something kind of changes in game development, you get winners and losers. And, and currently, it's, um, currently there's a landscape where indies can be successful, and I hope that that continues. Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And um, So what, what was your favorite thing that came out of GDC this year? Uh, 
Geez, GDC this year for me was just a bunch of back to back to back to back meetings and, and <laughs> interviews and and you know we were showing our game at the Indie Mega Booth at GDC and so kind of running the booth and running around and meeting friends and it was so incredibly hectic that I don't even I'm not even sure what came out of GDC beyond the the Google uh, Stadia which I've learned is the plural of the word stadium. I didn't. I don't think I knew that, but I guess it makes sense. Um, that's how I remember it now. I used to call it the Google Stevia, and I don't think that's great. Um, but yeah, I think that was the that, that was the biggest thing really to come out of there. And and I guess because of that, that was the most interesting thing. I will say, no, you know what? There was a. I always love the Control Alt GDC stuff. For those who don't know, these are like. Um, games that are shown on the floor at GDC that are 100% clearly never going to release as a commercial product. They're, they're purposefully made so that you can interact with an electronic game in a way that you wouldn't really think about doing it. And so to give a couple examples of this year, there was a game where you had to sit at, on various sections of a couch and where you were sitting, you would hit a monster under the couch and it would light up when you did it. And I think there was a bit of vibration or something in there. Um, there was a, a game where you were each controlling a pirate ship, but you had too many controls and not enough room on your controller for, for all of them. So you had to keep swapping out and people were fighting with, no, I want the steering now or I want the cannons on my side or things like that. So um, if, if anybody ever goes out to GDC and I would I would highly highly recommend you take some time and go see the uh, alt control GDC stuff. It's actually quite wonderful. Next up, I spoke to Nathan Hamley, creator of Guard Duty, and I asked him about how did you first get into creating games. Quite some time ago, when I was sort of like 14, 13, um, I got this really old application called Dark Basic. It was, um, it's in theory, it was a game making studio thing. Um, but it's basically like a just a text interface, almost like a DOS command line prompt. Um, and it came with a bunch of example games. And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I was able to change the, the odd sort of variable here and there and like change the color of the gun or change the size of the bullets in this FPS demo. Um, so I kind of got into that, and then it was maybe a year or two afterwards I found the Adventure Game Studio forums, which is the engine we use for Guard Duty. Um, and they had a really good community behind them. And, yeah, I've kind of almost grown up alongside that community, like posting a lot of artwork, trying to make games, not necessarily finishing them all. But, um, yeah, that's that's how I got into games, game making, I think. Yeah, well, that's really cool. And could you tell us a bit about your process? Like, do you create a lot of prototypes and then sort of test each one or, or do you kind of have quite a set idea about things and focus on that how, you know what how do you go about creating games um well for guard duty um i started out by just basically making a load of backgrounds i'd kind of made the world um or at least the starting town wrinklewood um and then about a year in of just making backgrounds and character sprites um, I was chatting to my friend Andy, who's now my game development buddy. Um, he's been doing the programming for Guard Duty. Um, and he kind of reined me in a bit and he said, look, you need to make a design document. You need to plan the game and um, I'm going to help you program it. So, yeah, there was, there was about a year or so of just like going wild drawing stuff. Um, and then me and Andy decided that we needed to work on a solid design document. Um, and then I went ahead and wrote a story out. It's this um, designs changed a bit throughout development because it was really ambitious to start with. There's a few things we had to sort of rein in, cut down on. Um, but generally, I find yeah, creating the world first has worked for me. I'm not sure necessarily whether that's the best way of doing it, but that's what worked. Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of it's all about finding a process that works for you. You know, um, it's uh, then yeah, that, that that makes total sense. Do you remember the moment when you kind of first thought? right, I'm, you know, I'm going to get into games. And, you know, what, what kind of inspired that moment? Um, it was probably when I first got involved in the Adventure Game Studio community because there was a bunch of guys on there who were far more talented than me at the time. Um, people like Dave Gilbert, Francisco Gonzalez, who are um, they're quite popular point-and-click adventure game developers now. 
Um, and they were making much smaller games back then, but they were actually finishing stuff and <laughs> like with funny jokes and cool puzzles. Um, it was like super inspiring. Um, so I was on the uh, there's a critics lounge there where you could post your art artwork and get feedback. Um, I learned a lot about development there. And I think, yeah, it's people like that that inspired me to just keep pushing forward. And eventually, after getting education out of the way and being a teenager and getting bored of just partying all the time, I was like, right, I'm going to make something and finish something. So that's what Guard Duty is. It's amazing. And it, yeah, it really, like like I was saying before, Guard Duty really, it shows the your your passion for 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 games and and also the, the artwork's amazing so it's yes uh, i'm really looking forward to playing the uh, the full game yeah thanks tom so what's um so what's next on the agenda for sick chicken studios after guard duty um hmm, it's a tough one to be honest um i've i've been toying with a few ideas uh i've done a, a few sort of art tests and stuff um i used to do quite a bit of 3d work in my old job um quite simple stuff but so i've been dabbling in 3d a bit but i think potentially another graphic adventure game um probably something higher resolution than guard duty uh trying to dust off my digital painting skills and um i might give that a go but honestly i'm not sure at the moment i'll um yeah it's it's something that i'm kind of toying with but i think i'll wait for guard duties come out see how the reception is and then yeah see where it goes from there fantastic so do you do you get any time to still play games in your spare time or, or is it purely a kind of a, a work thing um yeah I, I still play games uh normally sort of play them for an hour or two and then get inspired or reminded that i need to finish my game um and go back mm. to development but yeah um yeah try to play especially some notable um new releases uh in the adventure game scene so like Dave Gilbert's Unavowed um, was great. Lamplight City by Francisco Gonzalez. Um, I finished that recently. That was really good. Um, and yeah, just generally try to keep up to date with the scene. Um, there's a few adventure games I'm looking forward to as well. Nice. It's, I, I think that the, the sort of current state of the indie game scene is is fantastic. There's There's so much good stuff coming out and i think that was kind of reflected in the recent bafta awards there's so many good indie studios up for awards in in the baftas recently um so it's a really really thriving scene so it must be really exciting to be kind of part of that scene at the minute yeah for sure um i think like narrative games as well have got a bit more of a spotlight in recent years um it's I think people got fed up with AAA shooters. <laughs> There's yeah. only so much killing you can do. Um, and yeah, thankfully, narrative games seems to come through a bit. And we've got a lot more experimental games as well, which is great. Um, yeah, the indie scene is it's really booming. It's, it's really good to see. It's a lot of good conventions and stuff going on. And it's really nice to sort of meet up with other developers and just talk about <laughs> the worries of game development and how Steam's becoming massively oversaturated or yeah. what, whatever the current conversation is. But It's, yeah. it's in- interesting with lots of, I guess there's a new, there's a few new storefronts kind of opening up with like Epic are kind of jumping in there and um, things like that. So hopefully that provides more opportunities. And Nintendo seemed to have really jumped on the, the bandwagon for supporting uh, indie studios as well. Yeah, sure. Like they, um, well, they've leased out the Zelda IP to yeah. a dun- Dungeon Crawler recently, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> That's, was, yeah super cool. So it's yeah, it's it's great to see all these all these kind of um, the the big names in the industry um, kind of you know helping everyone out rather than sort of shutting the doors which is really, really good. Um, talking about big names, I was wondering if you had a viewpoint on the kind of the way things are going with in terms of streaming services in video games and, uh, you know, with with the recent news of sort of Google stepping into the fray and you know, Microsoft are about to sort of um, announce their systems. And I wonder, as a, as a game developer, do you have a viewpoint on the kind of the the streaming services situation in, and how that's going to change uh, yeah. the gaming industry. Um, yeah, so for a game like mine, it it's kind of a bit of a bleak outlook because I'd imagine the revenue share will be based on how much time players spend playing your game. 
So mm. like a, an RPG or a multiplayer game with a lot of replay value, they're going to sink maybe 60, 80, 100 hours into it. But then a game like Guard Duty, where it's a narrative game that takes about eight or nine hours to finish, um, you're generally not going to replay it, or maybe you might replay it once, but we're not going to have as many hours clocked up by players as all these other games. Um, And there is the worry that these streaming services will kind of kill off shorter, more experimental, narrative-based games just because we're not getting the same numbers as um, more addictive games. Or Mm. So... Yeah, a little bit concerning, but we'll see where it goes, I think. Yeah, it's um there's definitely a lot of kind of implications in there and I and I I can already feel and see the the backlash to to that, you know, people are sort of looking over at Spotify and how they deal with music artists and you know, there's fractions of sort of pennies per play. So, yeah, we definitely don't want that happening in the video games industry. Um so, yeah. Um Oh, that, that's really cool. Um, I guess aside from kind of like the um, streaming services stuff coming, what, what do you think has changed the most over the last few years in the video games industry? Um, so I guess the last kind of four or five years or so since I've been making Guard Duty, um, it's been a lot harder to get your indie game noticed. Um, there's like loads more people are making indie games, like myself included. Um and I think, yeah, Steam's becoming quite oversaturated now, which is a shame. But there is, you know, there's still opportunity there if you've got a good game. Um, it seems like um, YouTubers playing your game as, like, influencers isn't quite as important now. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how that trend's come in. But, um, yeah, from what I've read, uh, it doesn't have as much of an impact on your game sales now because people who follow a youtuber just generally follow that youtuber because of their right. personality they're not yeah. like looking to buy the games that they're playing okay. um but it's it's always evolving um i think it is it's, it is thriving at the moment like there's a lot of cool games coming out and they seem to be doing fairly well um i just think we're going to see less like massive hits like less undertales that sort of thing but yeah, it's, it's always going to be changing, um, and we just need to kind of adapt as it goes along. I just hope that narrative games can stay strong and um, still be a viable option for developers. Finally, I spoke to Angelos and Nikos from Pixel Rain, asking them about early access in terms of promoting their game and gathering feedback from the audience. We launched it on Early Access in order to get feedback, like uh, we knew that uh, it is our first title and uh, you know, it's, it was a risky move that we had to make in order for many reasons, but it, it really helped us define like even better what the best experience for the people would be because there are some issues in games that you cannot know upfront. And uh, you need people that will pick up your game, that will give you honest feedback and uh, will not be, you know, feared, or will not fear to tell you the truth, even if it hurts you, you know. And uh, we were glad to see that uh, people liked it and uh, gave us uh, really valuable feedback on how to make the game, uh, where to get, make the game more responsive, uh, what frustrates them, what they find difficult. And uh, we also saw a lot of people that played the game on YouTube, which really helps because you can see the player, uh, you, you can see the players actually playing the game, and you can fix your, uh, your like um, issues that the player doesn't know are there, but you know that, that are there. And uh, you also can design better uh, gameplay and levels because you can see how players interact with the game. Uh, which when you're making the game, you know what to do, and it's not a challenge for you, but for someone else it will be. Yeah, basically you, you, you get to see the, the perspective of the, of the person that experienced the game, because it's, it's actually the exact opposite of the perspective you have uh, the, the, as a developer. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to to feel uh, the things the player feels when he plays your game. So it's really hard uh, for you, when, exa- especially when you don't have many testers, to imagine what 
uh, what exactly would happen if the, a player would play the, that exactly uh, level or uh, um, uh, encounter the trap you are making or fight the boss you are making. So when we uh, were watching uh, YouTubers or w uh, when we were getting feedback from uh, a lot of great people on uh, Steam and uh, Game Jolt, uh, it, it was uh, incredibly helpful for us and uh, a really uh, um, important motivation for us to keep going. And uh, like especially one uh, YouTuber, he actually uh, stayed with us during the entire uh, uh, early access until launch and he made like 20 something episodes of uh, Robbie playing the insanity mode. And he finished the game so it was like a parallel journey with uh, both, uh, both us creating the game and him uh, finishing it, it it was really, really uh, inspiring for us and uh, we wanted to to grow together with the players, you know, and give them something even more exciting for the next world and uh, for the next uh, boss and etc, uh, etc. Et and it's... Uh, yeah, it's really interesting there. You mentioned, because I always think about early access as kind of testing and getting feedback, but actually it's also about developing and cultivating the community around your game. And like you say there, you got the YouTuber interested and you both kind of went on a journey together. Could you tell us a bit more about, you know, how you develop the community around uh, Robbie Swift and the Orb of Mysteries? brute force I would say like you spam people and uh, some of them respond some of them don't and uh, eventually you get a few people in the start that actually you know like the game and are really into it and uh, are actually giving you valuable feedback and then they stick to your game and they keep playing and they keep giving you feedback which is you know a very slow process it doesn't come within a day or two uh, and uh, it's not like we have a big community or anything but you get to meet uh, all of those people that are playing your game firsthand and talk with them so it's not like a hands-off process it's really hands-on it's like you immediately like wake up and you have 50 new sort of like friends, internet friends, that you have to maintain relationships with and uh, keep, uh, uh, you know, keep sending them and uh, get more feedback from them and uh, understand their point of view and uh, what, uh, what lies behind their feedback and, uh, you know, try to empathize with them and see what they feel would be best for the game. Um, and there is many aspects, to it. like there, there is people that will... Uh, wake up one day and you'll find in your inbox uh, people cursing at you like oh my god why did you do this I'm going to kill you you know stuff like that which is really heartwarming uh, or you can find you know people that are like I really appreciate your job and uh, keep doing what you're doing which is also really nice <laughs> yeah Agilos explained more of the of the professional uh, point of view but yeah like um, especially when we're going on the conferences uh, like Gamescom and uh, Unite Berlin and the, the local ones, uh, it was really heartwarming to see people uh, enjoy the game whether they were good or bad. We had like uh, small kids play the game, we had uh, their parents play the game and both enjoyed it uh, um, equally. Uh, another really important factor was that people watching other play the game uh, were actually sometimes having more fun than the people uh, that were dying. Uh, so uh, it, it was an incredible uh, experience for us. Uh, and uh, I think it was a good call to go for early access, uh, even if it was a really bad time for it because it was just uh, after green uh, steam green light was uh, removed so getting exposure was almost impossible without a uh, budget uh, but we got enough uh, exposure to get a small community going and uh, help us develop the game together with them uh, by getting feedback and uh, getting inspiration 
and it uh, kept us going and uh, kept us g giving uh, ideas. There were some people that were so passionate that they would contact us almost every day, giving us suggestion. And uh, they would find some really, really small details that I w uh, we would never uh, find or think about. So uh, it, it's really important to have these kind of people uh, that uh, get uh, even, uh, you could say, a little bit obsessed with the game. Uh, I actually had to collaborate with uh, some people uh, from Unity at some point to to make the controls of the game be exactly pixel perfect and frame perfect. Uh, I had to understand exactly how uh, the process behind the input system was uh, working in Unity and uh, I actually had to bypass some things but we ended up with a pretty much perfect control system for the game, like there is zero frames lag between the input uh, from the player when you press the button and uh, the action you see on the screen, unless there is some hardware limitation on your, on your setup. So this is uh, the kind of stuff that make or break these kind of games. But it's really hard to notice because we don't have like 50 machines to test it. Uh, so when people started uh, contacting us and said, you know, I have an uh, older machine and uh, uh, a Bluetooth controller that's lagging and I noticed that there is a lot of input lag in the game and uh, we started to communi communicating more with them and it gave me the idea to, to improve the con uh, control system and these kind of things kept happening. A lot of the things that are now uh, making the game uh, much better than it was when we started making it is actually thanks to the community. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I, I, I had a really fantastic time with the game. I think it's super fun. It's, it's really hard. It's really funny. Um, so it, I was wondering if you could just tell our audience um, how and when they can get their hands on the game. Tomorrow, uh, first of yeah. August. And uh, which which platforms it available on? Uh, currently, it's it's already available on Steam for starters, and uh, they can get their hands on the game tomorrow on Nintendo Switch. And uh, if they're in America or Japan or Asia, they can get it on PlayStation uh, soon in Europe as well. And uh, hopefully by the end of September, we will have it on Xbox as well everywhere. And I, I'm actually holding uh, right now uh, a Razer phone, and uh, I got the game uh, working here. So this is uh, we can't really uh, say any conclusive information about this, but it's it's coming. Yeah, it's coming on the Razer phone exclusively, awesome. at least for a short period of time. It's going to be on the Razer phone only. So yeah. any Razer phone controller, uh, uh, controller and phone um, owners should be expecting to hear something not from just from us, but also from Razer, and uh, they should be able to get their hands on uh, uh, some uh, on a free code as well if uh, they are active at the point of launch. Well, that's that's fantastic. Well, you didn't mention Vicky. We, she's not oh. here. Uh, but she also she did the uh, sounds and uh, all the music in the game. Yeah. Uh, together with her husband, uh, they uh, made uh, the soundtrack and uh, all of everything you hear uh, in the game. And uh, we they made sure that uh, even the casting for the characters were professionals, like the best professionals they could get. Yeah. Like uh, for example, uh, on the second boss, they even got. Uh, uh, the uh, a soprano that was voice acting in movies uh, like Disney movies and uh, uh, things like that and uh, she did an incredible performance and then she, they topped it up for the final boss they got the guy who translated uh, uh, like the Greek version of the game of um, God of War 5 uh, they got Kratos so oh, wow. we have the Greek Kratos uh, as the final boss, and uh, a soprano from the Greek versions of Disney movies in uh, uh, the second boss fight, and uh, Layla, which is, you know, they did an incredible job there, so uh, yeah, we really have to mention that as well. 
Well, that's awesome. So, sh- uh, shout out to Vicky and her husband. Yeah, yes. she got married. <laughs> We're still not used to saying that she's married. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, well, guys, thanks right. so much for talking to me on This Week in Video Games, and uh, good luck for the launch. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week's episode and if you want to get involved in the show email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website send in your questions your comments and your video game stories i'm always interested in hearing from you and what you're playing i'm also available on twitter facebook youtube and instagram so search this week in video games on your favorite platform and join in the conversation and if you want to support This Week in Video Games, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. In exchange for supporting the show, you get shout-outs, Discord access, exclusive Patreon content polls, special design podcast scripts, and stickers. So if you enjoy This Week in Video Games, then sign up to Patreon. It would be great to see you there. Well, thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week. I'll be back on Sunday, the 15th of September. But for now, I'll see you soon.